it's heartbreaking to me to think that somebody would be in my mom's house or my grandma's house that I don't know. It just makes me feel uncomfortable knowing that something like that happens every day. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon, our International Vice President. How are you doing today, Mark? MC Carroll, I'm doing just fine, brother. How are you? Good. I think this is our first podcast since the uh, IFCI conference held at National Harbor in Maryland. I know, I know. It feels good to be back home. We had a great time at the conference, but uh, being back home is fun, too, and uh, we're getting uh, to do some more podcasts, so we're excited. Yeah, talk about networking, you know, going to these conferences and networking. I was talking to Scott Warren. He's a detective in the Oak Brook Police Department. And we were talking about current scams that were going on. I was telling about this ruse burglary. I see alerts every day being here with law enforcement in the Chicago area. And he said, Mike, I got an expert for you on, on the ruse burglary. It's Detective Jose Mendez. So I'd like to introduce him, Mark, if you don't mind. You go right ahead, sir. So with us for today's podcast is Detective Jose Mendez with the Skokie, Illinois Police Department. He has been with the department for the past 23 years. He is currently assigned to the burglary squad of the North Regional Major Crimes Task Force and is responsible for investigating burglary patterns and burglary offenders. He is here to talk about burglary prevention and to bring awareness about the ruse burglaries. Detective Mendez, welcome to today's podcast. Hello. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to come on the show. I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to uh, talk about a topic that I'm very uh, passionate about. Jose, thank you for being here. And hey, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we know you've been with the department 23 years. God bless you. And uh, But tell us how you got started in law enforcement and then really into burglary investigations. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, you know, I've always wanted to be a cop. I remember wanting to be a police officer since I was in eighth grade. I went to my freshman year meeting with my school counselor. He asked me what I wanted to do. And I told him I want to be a cop. And that's what I've been wanting to do ever since then. Um, I tested a couple departments. I ended up getting with Skokie, and I've been there ever since. I then joined the investigation section in 2007. And, you know, I was not officially on our NORTAP burglary task force, but I was always helping out the burglary detectives. And when the opportunity presented itself for me to jump on the team, that's exactly what I did. And that was about three years ago. Now, Jose, me being from the Chicago area, I'm a South Sider, but you're up on the North Side, right? Skokie's kind of northwest of the city of Chicago. What's the what's the population of Skokie around? The population of Skokie is around between sixty five and seventy thousand. Very diverse community. I understand. If I'm correct. We, there's over sixty languages spoken in Skokie alone. Wow. Wow. So, uh, Jose, before we get into burglary specifically, uh, some of our audience may have never, you know, been in law enforcement or been around it. And there's three terms that I think we probably need to explain to our audience. One is robbery, two is burglary, and three is larceny. So can you just give us a quick rundown? You know, I remember as when I was a police officer, we get a call and, hey, someone just robbed me, but it was actually a burglary. So can you explain to our audience Correct. those three crimes? Yeah, robbery is when either the use of force 
or the threat of force is used, so you could have a strong arm robbery. The robbery could be, you know, when the offender has a weapon. And then larceny is basically another term for theft. Retail theft is very common. And then burglary is the act of breaking into someone's house, using force to get into someone's house or getting into a location, specific location, like, for example, at a Walgreens, and you take a further step and get behind the counter where the register is, that sometimes in Cook County will be considered a burglary. Okay. Sometimes can people enter a residence under false pretense and also be considered a burglary? That is correct. Usually what we call that would be ruse burglaries. Got it. Yeah, Jose, you know, uh, being with the... uh Postal Inspection Service, as an analyst, I get an opportunity to see all the alerts that come out daily. And one of them that just sticks out, and that's why we asked you to come on today, is the ruse burglary. It's disheartening when you see elderly people get caught up in this type of scam. Can you explain to everybody what a ruse burglary is? Sure. So a ruse in itself is, you know, when someone comes to your door and is trying to use a type of trick, a deception, or a uh, distraction in order to commit a burglary. They'll pose as being, for example, sometimes they pose as being with the water department. They pose like they're with the village department. They pose as electrical uh, workers, that kind of stuff. They'll trick the elderly victim into believing that there's someone they're not in order to get into that house. Don't these fraudsters go as far as when they impersonate the village or the water department, they'll actually wear like a bright yellow vest or they'll have like a walkie-talkie in their hand to make it look legit. Correct. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, They will wear lanyards with IDs. They will wear hard construction hats. They do wear the vest. Uh, Sometimes they even carry a clipboard. Anything to try to deceive that person in order to get into that house, they will do. So, Jose, if the fraudster comes to the door, he says with the, with the village there's a problem with a fence line in the yard, and they take that elderly person out to the area, what happens next? So the person that usually begins the distraction will try to either pull the person out. If it's a, for example, if it's a ruse with the property line, they will try their hardest to get that person out of the house. If they see the victim is refusing, they will go as far as, you know, even putting their hands behind the back of the person and saying, here, here, come with me, come with me. They'll do whatever they can to get that person out. Once that person's out, they'll usually get on the walkie-talkie and say, you know what, I have to let my boss know what I'm doing. And that's when they get in there, they conversate in their own language, and usually that's when the second, the third, the fourth offender gets into the house without the victim ever knowing that it even happened. Jose, do they target a particular person at a certain type of house? From your experience, you know, uh, what do you what do you see? Yes. So usually they will target their, their burglaries are not random. Uh, is what we've learned. They will drive around for hours until they find a target. Usually they're looking for elderly people. They might also target Asian people. Uh, they like to also target. Indians. The reason being, so the elderly, normally because of the advanced age, they would have some type of medical condition, bad eyesight, bad hearing, memory loss. You know, they also know that older people tend to be a little more embarrassed when they get 
rules like this to actually make a report or tell a family member. The Asians, they know primarily Asians have cash at home. A lot of them own businesses and they bring their cash home. And Indians have a lot of gold jewelry, which are all the items that the offenders like to steal from the residents. Type of homes they look for, they'll look for a house that doesn't look modernized. You know, from the outside, you could see the older looking curtains, the old style lamps or furniture. Usually that says an older person lives there. That's how they'll drive around and pick, you know, whatever target or victim they're looking for that day. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that, you know, they would do that much research uh, to target yes. somebody. Yep. Uh, we've, we've seen them actually stand in front of, like, a nursing home or a medical facility for older individuals. Or they'll go to a Walgreens and they'll see an older person, they'll follow them home, and then that's when they try to do the ruse. So they, they do go out of their way. You know, it's almost like once they leave the house to do a job, they don't want to come back home empty-handed. Yeah, but Jose, I was just going to ask you that. Do they follow them from stores or restaurants or, like you said, nursing homes? But uh, that's unbelievable that these, these fraudsters would follow them all the way home. I mean, you mentioned they kind of case the house for a while to see maybe who's coming in and out, try to determine if they live alone. Is that what they're doing? You know, one of the things that we've seen, um, they will drive around. They will see, you know, they'll see the, the elderly woman outside uh, working in the front yard. They might okay. make contact and try to find out who else is in the house. For the most part, they don't like that confrontation. Uh, we have seen that they have become a little more confrontational, a little more violent. Mm. So, Jose, can you tell us, I know right now it seems like they target uh, seniors, maybe certain uh, ethnic groups, but technically anybody could fall victim to this type of burglary. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. If they find a house that they believe has got cash in it, they will hit it. They would prefer someone older because it would be less confrontational, uh, less likely for them to be identified, but they will, they will hit a house, any house, especially if it's an empty house and they want to hit it, they will. So looking for cash, jewelry, things that they could probably, either, if they can't steal cash, they're looking for high-end jewelry, other stuff, uh, smaller stuff that they could, you know, walk out with without being, you know, carrying something heavy. Correct. Now, they usually, they look for the cash. Obviously, they keep it. Uh, they'll look for jewelry, which usually they'll melt at any jewelry or any jewelry store that they've become familiar with. They also might use pawn shops to get rid of some of the jewelry. And then, you know, we've, we've had them where they've actually walked out of houses with safes containing, you know, cash and jewelry and, and other important documents. They don't do anything with the documents other than maybe toss them out later on with the safe. But that's what they're looking for, and you're correct. They're looking for items that they could stick in their pockets and walk out and get out of there as quickly as possible. Hey, Jose, being here in uh, Skokie in the Chicago area, have you had cases where you these organizations or these groups of fraudsters actually travel, maybe out of state, maybe in Indiana, Michigan, anything like that, where you have to follow them in these areas? Yes, we have. Um, we've had several activations where we've been, where we've done physical surveillance on 
these groups, and we followed them into Indiana. Uh, we followed them into Wisconsin. I worked with Kane County earlier this year and on an activation, and they went up to Wisconsin. So they will travel. And we've had groups from Florida uh, and New York will come to Chicago, do work, and then they go back. Jose, you mentioned when these fraudsters get into the house, they don't want to confront anybody. They don't want to cause a scene. If somebody tells them to leave or they get confronted, they're out the door. But has there been times in the past where these fraudsters might confront somebody and even cause injury to the victim? Yes. Uh, We've noticed that they have become a little more violent as of late. Um, Matter of fact, there was a case in Park Ridge not too long ago where they did pull the the ring off the woman's hand. Um, They did hurt her. I think they pushed her down. There's one that just happened not even two weeks ago in a nearby town where um, they, once she realized she was being rused, she tried to defend herself. She grabbed a item from the from the uh, kitchen a kitchen knife and they in the attempt to get it out of her hand they ended up cutting her and they also pulled her wedding ring off her finger but it broke her finger in the process oh, man. so they will once they're in they will use some type of force if, if they're confronted and, and you know they feel like they're walking out with nothing yeah, that's a that's a real scary situation. I hope our audience is listening, you know, that, like I said, if you run into these things, and we're going to talk about some prevention, what not to do, and what happens if you're targeted. Thanks for sharing that story. It's horrible. And, uh, you know, like I said. Yes, it is. So the, the question I have, too, is for our listeners is, do these groups tend to work, you know, a particular shift or time period to commit these burglaries? Yes, they primarily start their day at about 10 a.m., and it could go anywhere until sundown. That's the time they like. It allows them during the daytime, that allows them to drive around and case the neighborhoods, uh, check out which house they want to hit, and then they make up their mind. If they're going to do a ruse, they might go in early while, you know, the person's there. If, if it's a house that's going to be empty or somehow they find out it's empty, they prefer to hit it dark so nobody will see them, obviously. Jose, I got to ask you, working these type of cases, have you had a victim that had the ruse burglary done to them more than once? We've been fortunate in Skokie. I don't think we, I don't, that I could recall uh, someone being victimized twice. I know one particular person in Kane County, I assisted a detective out there with a case, and the person was victimized twice. Now, it's less of a chance that they'll do a second burglary or they'll do two burglaries to the same victim. But you could be victimized once by having some type of home repair scam done, you know, your driveway, seal coating, something to that effect. And then they could come back about a month later and do a ruse burglary. So in that sense, yes, we've had that happen. Hey, Jose, I got to ask you, is there a certain group that's out there doing these types of ruse burglaries that you are aware of? Is it certain individuals, certain gangs, certain ethnicity that's doing this type of scam? So we primarily deal with a particular ethnic group of people. And we, as a department or as you know, law enforcement, we refer to them usually as traveling crime groups or families. Now, they would refer to themselves as 
gypsies, specifically American gypsies, is what, you know, that's how they refer to each other. That's uh, interesting. So I know a little bit from law enforcement myself, but, you know, I, I did a lot of ATM skimming investigations and we found a lot of the criminal gypsy groups were doing stuff uh, with ATM skimming and stuff like that. So they're also involved in these right. same criminal groups are involved in, in uh, ruse burglaries as well. So usually with the ATMs, like these different ethnic groups have different type of specialties or what they like to do. Like, for example, we, we will deal primarily with the American gypsies, but there are the Yugoslavians and the, the Yugos. Uh, they also do burglary, but they don't primarily do ruse burglaries. They do forced entry burglaries. Then you have the other European gypsies that will do frauds like the ATM and things like that. Each ethnic group has their own expertise in the type of crime that they like to do. We deal mostly with the American gypsies and their ruse burglaries and home repair frauds and dent repair scams. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like I, I see what you're saying, like each kind of criminal group has their own skill set, you know, Correct. so they're, they're not committing all these different type of crimes, but each group has a particular right. crime that they're focused on. I want to just stress too that you know when we when we say ethnic groups are obviously gypsy groups, we're talking about the groups that are committing crimes and not just any ethnic group or any gypsy community. Um, you know, but these are the ones that are engaged in criminal activity. Correct, I agree. Hey, Jose, I got to ask you too. Uh, these ruse burglary investigations are they hard to uh, prosecute? They are hard to prosecute because. They're hard to identify. Usually the victims will have a difficult time trying to identify the offenders. So it makes it harder for us to make an arrest. If we can't identify who the offenders are, then we can't lock them up. Uh, but if they get identified and we have good evidence, they will be prosecuted. And a lot of judges, you know, again, there's, there's always like the protected class of citizens, you know, children, the elderly. So nobody really, you know, is going to give them a break. Unfortunately, this is the only thing they know pretty much since they're young. And we don't see them going to jail and coming back and, you know, rehabilitating. So Jose, uh, for our audience, you know, you've given us a lot of information, how these groups operate, the things to look for, some of this, you know, the ways that they will present themselves as, you know, legitimate people and trying to get in the house or bring the person out. What are some tips that you could give to our audience to prevent this from happening? Sure. Usually when I, when I do, for example, the Citizens Police Academy at work or I'll do the beat meetings, the first thing I tell people is do not open your door. Okay. If you hear an aggressive knocking on the door, get behind the door and just say, hello, I'm home. Can I help you? But do not open the door. Once you open that door, now you're making yourself an easy target. You will not be able to close the door on them. They will put their foot in between the door and the door frame and they'll make their way into the house. Usually the person at the door is a bigger sized male. Um, it's going to be a lot stronger than the victim. If you do talk to somebody, don't be afraid to ask for a, an ID. Usually 
people from the village will have an appointment before they come out to talk to you. So don't be afraid to call your local village hall and ask if someone's at the door. You know, someone should be at your door. You see someone you don't recognize, don't be afraid to call the police. We will show up. We will try to find out who's there. By that time, most likely they'll be gone, but you could call us. Also, if you see someone that doesn't look right, try to get a look at their vehicle. What make, what model, what color. Uh, are there any specific stickers on the sides? They'll sometimes use uh, magnetic strips on the side of the car to make you think that they're a legit business. If you happen to open your door and you have your screen door is locked, don't make the mistake of unlocking it. If they're playing the game that they don't hear you, then close the door and tell them to leave. Go away and call 911. Those are some of the tips. And don't be afraid, don't be embarrassed that if it happens, call a family member right away. Call us right away. The sooner we know, the better it is for everyone else. Yeah, Jose, what you think, too, also is that uh, somebody comes to the door that you indicate that there is also somebody at home, like, you know, somebody, you know, wants to talk Correct. to you. Wait, let me wake up my husband or let me get my son. He's in the shower. Come down in two minutes, something yes. like that. That is that is excellent. Correct. Yes. You could even say, you know what? I don't know who you are. I'm calling the police. They do not like to hear the word. I'm calling the police. And that, that's a great point, too, is because a legitimate person, if they are, let's say, working for the town or the gas company, electrical company, you know, they're not going to be scared off by you saying, hey, you know, I'm going to call the police and verify who you are because, you know, the, the good person, the good person will stay there, wait for law enforcement. The bad guy is going to probably hop in his car and take off. Correct. The legit person will be totally fine with you calling to confirm who they are. If they have a problem with that, then they shouldn't be there. That's right. And, uh, Jose, also, uh, what about security systems, visible cameras, um, smart doorbells and stuff like that? Does, that? does that play into a factor of these criminals when they're trying to select a house? Unfortunately, because of COVID, um, now with masking up, the offenders are using the face masks, the hats, gloves. So it is harder for us to identify who they are, but obviously having either a ring doorbell, uh, a nest, any type of security or video surveillance around your house will help us if, you know, with the identification or at least with the what they're wearing for a case. Also, it might capture a vehicle that you might not, sometimes they pull up into your driveway, you don't re realize they're in your driveway. And when we ask, ma'am or sir, what kind of car were they driving you? They will probably say, I have no idea. But because we have the video, we're able to see a vehicle. And most of the time, we will get at least a color, a make, a model, and we could go from there. One of the things that I personally do all the time is drive around to known residences and i do look for the vehicles that they drive i kind of have a knack for picking out what, what kind of vehicles they drive and then we have them for future burglaries right right cameras signs uh, a dog you know if, if you could buy something that that sounds like a dog and remote control or something that's excellent Any, anything to protect the more you could use to protect yourself the better off you will always be
Hey, Jose, I also wanted to ask you, you know, protecting yourself from being a victim of, of this ruse burglary, what about the person living in the house uh, protecting their valuables? Should they get a safe or should they, you know, not leave them out, right? Your jewelry, not leave it on your dresser. Should they hide that somewhere where they, these uh, fraudsters can't find it? Absolutely. Um, hide it in spots where it will make it difficult for them to find. A lot of people tend to be creatures of habit. So everybody tends to hide their safe in a bedroom closet. So they go to closets and they'll ransack the closet until they find the safe. The more difficult you make it, the less likely that they will find it because they want to get in and they want to get out. They don't want to be searching through your house for that safe or for your valuables. They go to the bedrooms, they go to the closets. So if you're gonna hide your stuff within the residence, not like in a basement or an attic, do not put them in your bedroom or in your closet. And you're talking when they you put stuff in your, your safe and they find the safe, whether it's you know attached to the wall or not, they're gonna leave with that safe. Most likely. We've seen it where they've actually pull the saves off the wall or off the floor in order to take it. And Jose, what about like signs on, on the front door, front property that, you know, beware of dog or maybe I'm a gun advocate or uh, I even find uh, putting a picture of Mike Carroll at my front door, it scares a lot of these criminals <laughs> off. Do, do, do you uh, agree? Do <laughs> I agree on the uh, beware of dog or the Mike uh, picture. Uh, both. Uh, yeah, I'd like to get your take on both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be mean like that. But no, yeah, you know, Thanks, signs okay. that say that you have an alarm company. Uh, this house is under, you know, surveillance, you know, meet my dog, whatever. But I, I am going to warn you this, though. Most of them do not know how to read. So put pictures. Don't put words. That's why I use Mike Carroll's face all the time. I put it right. I don't even have an alarm system at my house. I just put pictures of Mike around. So. Usually it's a circle with a line through send it. Me, send me one of those, please. Uh, we're, we're, selling them for, we're selling them for nine ninety nine at the uh, podcast here. So. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of sounds like a scam to me. It does, it does. <laughs> For our audience, I'm just joking. We're not selling anything, I promise. <laughs> hey, Jose, I got to ask you, though, on some of these other scams that are out there. I know you're an expert on the lottery scam where the fraudster approaches somebody outside a restaurant or a grocery store and they got the winning ticket, but they need upfront money. How does that one work again? I mean, it's hard to believe that people fall for that one, but they do. Usually, you know, that's a totally different ethnic group that's uh, doing those types of frauds now. Those are primarily, you know, South American theft groups is what we call them. What that consists of is they'll come to you and they will take out a person who, you know, speaks Spanish like them and will they will say something to the effect of, Listen, I won the lotto, you know, but I can't cash my ticket because I don't have papers. It's a $50,000 lottery ticket, you know, winner. If you give me $10,000, I'll give it to you and you could cash it and keep it. So they will, you know, jump in a person's car. They'll convince the person, you know, let's go to your bank. The person will withdraw the money. They'll give these people the, uh, the $10,000, let's say, and they'll keep the ticket. And in their mind, they... 
did something nice for somebody, they're going to get 50000 they're going to get whatever amount, and it turns out, obviously, to be a scam. You know, not to go too far, this happened to my own mother-in-law. Um, wow. Mm, wow. Ten years ago. They stopped at a red light, and my mother-in-law told them, you know what, let me, let me call my, my son-in-law, who's a police officer, because I just want to <laughs> confirm that, you know, I could do something like this. And they opened the doors, and they ran out of the car. Nice. <laughs> I like I it. it. I like it. Back in my law enforcement days, I don't want to show my age, but I think they used to call this the pigeon drop, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those kinds of scams kind of died off here in the Midwest for a little bit, and they're starting all over again. And they're, you know, they're coming back up. And not only are they doing that, uh, but they've also, it seems like they're now. Uh, spreading and they're they're doing residential burglaries as well, but these these groups do not like the they're not like the groups that we were talking about earlier. They like big houses in wealthy suburbs and houses that are empty. You're talking about burglaries, right? Right. I'm talking about the the South American theft groups that we're seeing now are coming up and they're doing. Uh, force entry burglaries. We haven't heard of them that I'm aware of. If they've done it, it's not such a common thing yet. I haven't heard of them doing ruse burglaries yet. I'm sure they'll they'll maybe pick that up in the near future too. And we had a little conversation in the past. You mentioned a lot of that this type of burglary too happens where homes are up against a golf course. That's correct. Yes, that's primarily their target homes our homes that are up against a golf course. That is correct. And they love to go in through a second floor balcony. Don't ask me why. I haven't figured that one out yet. I know exactly why. We uh, Actually, we got targeted in Connecticut here by a bunch of those groups, and what they know is a lot of the people will alarm the first floor windows and doors, but they will not usually pay the money to do the second floor, so they'll scale up on the poles up to the balcony or on a ladder and uh, and then go in. We've seen them actually even cut into the wall with a saw yep. and cut into the wall so it doesn't trigger if there is an alarm on the second floor window. So it's a very brazen burglary. And with these groups, uh, what makes it even more difficult to solve is the fact that they're constantly traveling from L.A., New York. They're going back and forth, and they're always in rental vehicles. Uh, they're using fraudulent identification to rent the cars. So unless you catch them in the act or you catch them just driving with a fake or fraudulent license plate and pull them over and, you know, get lucky and see a bunch of stolen items, you know, they're usually getting away with it, unfortunately. Hey, Jose, one more scam I got to ask you about. We've talked about romance scams on our podcast in the past, and it's mostly based on online meetings and unfortunately either a man right, or woman right. ends up losing a lot of money but isn't there i see the alerts again and isn't there one going around where mostly a young lady will meet an elderly person elderly man at a again at a restaurant or grocery store and they become good friends you've seen a lot of that yeah we do see that a lot of that usually you know it's either a younger uh female or even a you know who's single or, or a married female who does this and they do become real tight with the individual. After some time, they'll start asking them for money. 
usually they'll come out and say, you know, maybe somebody in the family passed away or, you know, an uncle or an aunt, a brother. Somebody's got some major um, medical issue that they need help paying for. And the victim will give them a large amount of money, and they usually will go and buy a luxury car, and they pay cash. And they're living in high-rises downtown, and they're not paying for that because, unfortunately, the victim is paying for it. And they don't even know that they're being victimized. They might believe that they're actually helping a family member with a medical situation, or they might even think that they're in love and they're just helping their girlfriend, you know, out, being nice. And we call those uh, sweetheart swindles. Aren't those sometimes hard to prosecute because, you know, the victim voluntarily gives up money that they have? And we've had an incident in our neighborhood and trying to talk that individual out of it from doing this. And um, it was hard. You know, it was like, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Yep, you're right. And, and that's the thing, that they don't believe that they're being, you know, how could this person do this to them? So they don't believe it. And they usually say, no, I'm, I'm in love with that person and I'm giving them that money. And it doesn't matter. It usually would have to take a family member a son or a daughter that, that kind of, you know, knocks some sense into them. And then they realize, okay, I've been taken. Other than that, they become extremely, you know, hard to prosecute just because of their refusal to go forward with a prosecution. Yeah, it gets, uh, gets challenging there uh, to prove the criminal intent. But, uh, you know, I'm sure they've taken the background of the suspect and if they've done this previously, hopefully, and, you know, could get uh, some prosecution on that. Yeah. And if we could, you know, if we could also show that there's some type of medical condition with the victim or, you know, their mental state, you know, more likely than not, a state's attorney, based on the background and the type of group that we're going after, they, they see a scam, you know, and they recognize a scam when one is happening. Well, Jose, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed our talk here today uh, and and just gave us a ton of information for our audiences. Anything that one last, if you had to give one message uh, out to our audience today, what would that be? I would say don't ever feel pressure to let anyone in your house that you do not recognize. Don't feel bad. Um, Don't think that you're doing something wrong by not letting someone in your house. If that person shouldn't be there, if that person doesn't have a prior appointment to be there, if it's not someone that you recognize, they should not be coming into your house. Don't let any kind of talking that they do convince you otherwise. They're good talkers. They're good at what they do. Just stick to it. Do not let them in. Call 911. Call a family member. Get the word out. That's the one advice that I would like to give. Get us involved. The sooner, the better. I love it, Jose. I could see like something like not in my house, you know? Correct. I think it's a great slogan. Or don't let their foot in the door. Exactly. Once they get that foot in the door, it's it's too late. Which one of those slogans did you like better, Jose, if you had to pick one? Oh, here we go. Jose, I'm closer to buy your beer than he is. It's not in my house or foot in the door. Foot in the door. Yes. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I, own, I own a beer. Nah, he prearranged this, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, use foot. No. So, what do you say? No foot in the door? Or? 
And Jose says it best, don't open the door, period. But if you do, right. they're, they're going to try and stick their foot in the door. So don't open the door would be the best yeah. thing, but just don't want their foot in there. Jose just texted me. He said he liked my slogan better, but he didn't want to <laughs> offend you. So. Well, Jose, I, gotta mention one. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to get that picture. I, I just want to get the picture oh, of. Uh, I will send it to you. I have them all over my house. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll wait for that. <laughs> so, to our fans out there, uh, listen, tuning into the podcast, another great episode, another expert coming onto the show, sharing their wealth of knowledge. Uh, Mike and I have a great announcement to make too. We just opened up a LinkedIn page, so uh, please type in there. IFCI presents the protectors. They'll bring you right to our page. Post a comment, uh, any topics you want to hear about. If you have a question for Detective Mendez, you know, put it on there and we will get the answers for you. You know, Mike and I, you know, we love doing this. Like I said, this is about education and awareness and that equals power. The more we educate our public and make them aware of these scams, the less chance they have uh, of falling victim to them. So that's why we're here. Spread the word. Let everybody know about IFCI Presents the Podcast. Yeah, you're right, Mark. I hope our audience does subscribe to the podcast. I think it's important. But not only that, I think our audience needs to reach out to their neighbors and their friends and their families and let them know about this scam that's going on out there. It's heartbreaking to me to think that somebody would be in my mom's house or my yeah. grandma's house that I don't know. It just it makes me feel uncomfortable knowing that something like that happens every day. And we need to get together together. We need to partner up with law enforcement. We need to get the word out that this is going on. This is going on every day, and we all need to get together. And this is just one small way with our podcast, just to get people to know about this type of scam. Talk to your neighbors. Get the word out. Join up with us on our podcast, and uh, let's protect our citizens. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And you know what? The more we educate our public and make them aware of these scams, the less chance they have uh, of falling victim to them. So that's why we're here. Spread the word. Let everybody know about IFCI Presents the Podcast. Yeah, Mark, by the time we this podcast comes out, we'll have that stop action video done for the ruse burglary. We'll get it on the show notes. We'll get it on our LinkedIn page so people could see it and they could pass that on absolutely. to their friends and neighbors and just make people aware. This is one tough scam that is out there that is affecting the elderly and like jose was saying it's not slowing down it's increasing and we need to get the word out we need to protect our citizens and once again i'd like to thank doug taylor and modified media for putting this podcast together making it so great uh we couldn't do it without him so thanks doug Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.